0: Well, so great to have you here. Welcome and just welcome back, obviously in the midst of a little bit of the chaos and the the shutdowns and just trying to figure out church, obviously in a continuing pandemic. We're just really thankful that you're joining us again. We know it's going to take some time. It's not fun, kind of the inconsistency. But I'll also say, just before we jump into the teaching, that we're just really thrilled with last week, and this is the future of our church, is this hybrid type of feel where we gather together in homes, in communities, uh, across the city on the first of the month. I know last Sunday wasn't the first of the month, but we bumped it up because we hadn't been together for so long, but just heard great things, and this is it. This is, we're we're really bought in on this that the church, especially in a post-pandemic world, and we can argue <laughs> the post piece of that whole thing, but is, it's just so important that we create communities that are resilient disciples together. And so there's a, there's a format like this where we're gonna engage in the scriptures for a few minutes, we're gonna come to the table, we need all this. Um, we need, Laura read over us and, and practice as we practice the spiritual practice of Lectio Divina and all these things that we do. We need this type of environment, but we really sense that the turning in towards each other is what is going to continue to kind of keep us unique as a church community, but as well, this is what discipleship is. Um, I would be very co- fearful to build a community where people just come, kind of come in and sit and watch, and that's why we even do uncomfortable things like we turn our bodies and our voices and who we are together just even to say hello for a few minutes it's important you with me this is um, i know it's probably easier to create something where people come and watch it's probably easier for all of us but the hard work of discipleship is actually what we're bought into in our in in The the future of this church. So I'm really thankful for you and just be prepared. I know Heidi said March 6th. We're just going to gear back up and the goal is to continue to pioneer more groups as they get larger and give a place and space for people to connect and use that online format as a way to, you can either dial in on the live stream with us on those mornings or the teaching will be ready a bit early if groups want to kind of distribute that teaching so you can come ready. Um, It's not about a voice or voices as much as it is about us, you know, like a voice from the front, it's about us together um, wrestling through this. And there was some great, I know, great talk last week around this idea of cruciform love. And so if you missed it, go back and watch it. We had David with us again, just kind of helping shape that. With all that said, we are walking through the letter of Galatians. uh, amazing kind of letter that Paul writes to uh, first, first century communities, really, in the ancient Near East. If you want to open up your Bible, uh, we're going to be in uh, Galatians chapter 1 and kind of land uh, Galatians chapter 1, kind of get through to the end of Galatians chapter 1. To bring you up to speed a little bit on what's going on here, because this, wh- this is why I love the Bible. You know, you can read in your daily Bible plans through these letters, and it is easy to at times miss the context of what's going on. And Paul is not so happy, especially at the beginning of Galatians, because there's some some misunderstandings, and the biggest misunderstanding is this. There are some people, we could call them Judaizers, who are kind of informing the churches in Galatia that because they're Gentiles, this sounds crazy, I know, to us, that they have to be circumcised to become Christian. That they've still got to kind of hold on to what we've talked a little bit about, called the works of the law, like these Jewish identity markers. They've got to kind of enter into these practices. It sounds funny, doesn't it, to become a Christian? Now that is like bizarre, o, for us a couple millennia later. You with me? Kind of at least get a head nod behind the mask. Like that's that's a bad day if this is like the standard to kind of you know come into a church community. But the the empathetic side of this is remember, this started through Father Abraham and Jesus came as a Jewish man into the religious system and obviously flipped it on on its head and we certainly know that now a couple millennia later. But there's these communities that are wrestling because there are Jewish people that have had these practices within them over and over. Like this is their identity. Passover and circumcision as children and um, kosher eating. These kosher eating laws that would have formed and shaped them. Like no crawfish, right? No, no shrimp, which is really terrible because I kind of like shrimp. I know it's probably not good for you. I just like shrimp. Anybody? We should just pray and go home on that one, right? Um, and and the, especially to the practice of Sabbath, that there's these practices that are marking the Jewish community, but now have almost become a burden on them. So, so Paul is not happy. Philippians is a happy letter. He's writing from jail. Paul is not happy about this. And so this is the context of the writing. Now, again, you read the Bible. You get in your Bible reading plan. It's just easy to miss some of this. Now let's listen to what he says. He continues. Gives an introduction. Then he gets into it. Verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preached is not of human origin. It's not of human origin. Verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather... I received this gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, which is very true. Paul was one of the highest people in the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin. He was schooled in this stuff. But he says, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy the church. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But, but, and this is a big but, ladies and gentlemen. That was kind of funny? No, okay. No, I thought it was funny. All right. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not grow up. To Jerus- I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Okay, Paul, verse 18. Then he keeps going. He's just telling the story. What's happened? Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, or who we know as Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. Like, there's no specifics there, right? I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, sure. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Okay, this is why I love the Bible. Again, you get into your, like, daily plan, and then you realize there are all sorts of moving factors here, and I just love that this text specifically absolutely obliterates this golden tablet view of the Bible. A lot of times we have this golden tablet view. It just kind of popped out of heaven on, like, papyrus for us, and we have it, and that's just not true the spirit of god used people like paul and his name is going to come up a bunch in the next 6 or 7 minutes to write this and he's got really as you can tell practical things going on like i didn't go to the apostles and i didn't grow up go i didn't go to jerusalem after my conversion and i went to peter and i only went to him for like 15 days so the question is what is going on here as always what is going on here I think the best way to approach this, like we do often, is look at the text in context and then look at what it means for us here, okay? Paul is ultimately convinced, and you can hear it in his language, that the gospel that he is giving to the Galatians, listen, is the only gospel, his gospel, his good news, euangelion, this well-known idea in the ancient world of good news that would come to bear, he believes his that he's bringing is the only gospel. And really, this is the first argument that he makes as he gets into the letter. He's getting into it, and boom goes the dynamite, right? Like, he is on, it's on like Donkey Kong. He is now beginning to deal with, obviously, these Judaizers and some of the things that are polluting the community. And he does it. I love it. Again, this is why my mind and imagination come alive to the Bible. He does it in narrative form. He shares his story. And what he wants is he wants it to be very clear for the Galatians in that moment and now for us, again, 2,000 years later, that the gospel that he's passing along has a non-human nature. Has a non-human nature. His point in the whole kind of, I didn't go see Peter and this is what happened to me and God changed my life and I had this encounter and this is what happened after me. His point in all of this is that he's showing that both his movements and his context were shaped in a way that he could not have learned this gospel from earlier Christian teachers. This is what he's trying to say. Now, it, doesn't, it may not mean a whole lot for us, but he's just trying to prove the point that this thing that I'm passing on to you was not shaped by somebody, some human telling it to me. This was a revelation from God. And so it may not mean a whole lot to us now, but what Paul is doing with that first century, those first century communities is he is arguing for independence from human authorities. In particular, he wants to be independent from any human teaching that would influ- influence him at that time. And he wants, to be, he wants the Galatians to know that he is independent of the major churches in Judea and around Jerusalem. And I know you're super excited about this. We'll get to that in a minute, right? You're just sitting on the edge of your seat. I can just tell behind the mask. You're really excited about this. Ultimately, though, In all of this, God's call came, and this is Paul is convinced of this, it came to him directly. And he says that he did not consult any man in this matter. And ultimately, he wants to bring to our consciousness that his pre-Christian history in no way prepared him to be an apostle. Actually, the language that you hear Paul use is that his past was actually marked by two things. He was a persecutor of the church. I know a lot of us in this room are kind of Sunday school kids and you kind of know that the footnote for this morning's teaching is Acts chapter 9, where Paul, like the language that Luke uses in Acts chapter 9 is that Paul is ravaging the church. So much so he's in Jerusalem, he's in the Sanhedrin, he's one of the top Jewish People, you know, in, in all of kind of that religion, he studied under this guy named Gamaliel, which was probably in history the most well-respected rabbi in that world. And we get a picture in Acts 9 that he actually gets on a horse. He heads to this place called Damascus, ready to just ravage the church. He's on the outside kind of, kind of stirring up riots against these early Jesus followers in this community. He was a persecutor. And as we know, he was extremely zealous for the way of Judaism. So you've got to imagine, right, you've got to imagine Paul now post-conversion to the way of Jesus and to following Jesus, how that would affect even other people that knew Paul as a zealot Jew. Are you with me? Like, sometimes we think in the context of, like, not being a Christian, and you think of that person who's like, that, that person will never, ever come to the way of Jesus, and then they do, and you're like, your jaw drops, right? This would have been jaw-dropping, but even deeper is the layer for Paul of the religious context. He's the zealot, he's the one ravaging the church, and here he is. So the other, it's fascinating, the other layer to this, then, is also Jerusalem, because, Paul would have known Jerusalem well, but you hear it here. And again, I know we come, we read the text. He's almost distancing himself from the influence of the Judean and Jerusalem churches. If you know, Jerusalem was the mother of early Christianity. And Paul is distancing himself from this. Even so deep enough to say, like, listen, I did go and see Peter, but he only spent a few days with him. He says, I spent maybe 15 days. And he adds, he just wants to qualify. I went to Peter, but this was actually like three years after my conversion. The other apostles, he's clear, were not present. And so Paul got nothing from them. He did, and you hear it in the language of the text, he did make contact with James, the brother of Jesus. But his non-contact with the apostles is so crucial to him that he makes this declaration. I assure you before God that what I am writing about my non-contact with these apostles is no lie. He wants to make it very, very clear. Now, why? This is, this is just interesting, so fascinating that he would come from this posture. He comes from this posture because the Judaizers who are saying, again, you've got to enter into all this Jewish stuff, were arguing with him that Paul's first visit to Jerusalem was where he actually learned the rudiments of the gospel. They're arguing with Paul and ultimately kind of creating this frame in their minds that this gospel for Paul was passed on from other people, from other like, almost like a human nature of the way that this was passed on. One scholar argues that Paul is actually countering this. Paul is basically saying, it was three years after my conversion. It was brief. I was only there a little while. And it was basically virtually non-apostolic. It was like a, non- just to let you know, it was a non-apostolic visit. This was hardly sufficient grounds, he argues, to be considered a Jerusalem apostle. And again, why, why the distance? It's because of this. His argument is that the need for these churches that he's writing to, the argument is this, that these churches that he's writing to Need to listen to him and not be corrected or influenced by the outside kind of ideas of the Judaizers who are learning, pri- you know, obviously leaning out of their Jewish tradition. Paul wants the people to know as you receive this letter that, listen, this gospel that I'm passing on is not of human origin because you need to listen to me and we need to guard ourselves from what the Judaizers are saying. Big nod from everybody making sense? You're like, what does this have to do with us? Exact this is this is the tension sometimes of what we wrestle through a little bit because kind of the western way of like the more a devotional reading of the scriptures, which is fine. I'm all for daily devotion and all that. Is kind of we pick it up and it's like, well, what's for me and like how does this story kind of shape my amazing, you know, Canadian life, which is uh, fine. That's great. But you realize this is just a really nuanced Almost like, in some ways, Paul dealing with a church fight, as he often did in his letters. His argument, then, is the need for these churches to listen to him. And the passage's primary concern is the independence of Paul's gospel from the Jerusalem authorities. Basically, you can think of it like this. This Jewish, these, you know, the ones that are kind of dividing the community a little and kind of placing on the community, you have to do this Jewish stuff, Kind of under it, they're saying, hey, Paul, you're one of us, right? Like you're this, you should be entering into this type of way. And even you're going to notice later in the letter, Peter and Paul actually get into it around this idea of whether or not people should be circumcised. And Paul is counteracting that with this gospel is not of human origin. Okay? So that is, yeah, that's, the, that's basically the context of what we're reading when we pick this up. We're reading the context of a deeply, again, at times and moments, layers of division and Paul trying to pass on the truth of the kingdom of God to these people. And his, his idea is, listen, this I didn't make this up, nor did somebody pass this on for me. So how does this apply to us? Well, it's a good question. We, I think, I joked a couple weeks ago. Like there are, I have not found any Judaizers like trying to circumcise people to be part of Praxis Church. Nor are there people who are like, maybe if that's happening, please tell us or notify us because that would be a problem, right? There's no circumcision booths. There's no people um, kind of scolding you for maybe working on a Saturday or not taking a Sabbath and. Some of us just eat shrimp, and I don't think that's been that big of a deal. Some of you think that's nasty, but that's okay. That's another, that's another side note for later. Not as much a religious thing. But I do think there are a couple things to just think about for us. The first is this. This is from God. This gospel that's been passed on from Paul, that now is in the canon in, the, in, in our Bibles, is from God. God. And just think about it with me. It has to be, right? You with me? Like, think about even, and I don't want to just kind of funnel this through the church all the time. Like, what we're doing here has to be from God, right? To get out of bed, to be a part of a community, to like... uh, pass on the brunch mosas and make a commitment to actually like come to a community of people where you know you could just be doing whatever you want like this this has to be from god even think of the story that paul the cruciform story that paul passes on in, in corinthians he calls it foolishness because that's what it is and we just have to be reminded in a world that's drunk on power and climbing the ladder and being amazing we're caught up in this story that's foolish You know, the gospel points that we talked about a couple weeks ago of Jesus existing with the Father before everything and him coming as human flesh and into the Greco-Roman world where it would have been unthinkable and laughable for a God to literally give of himself. I don't know if you remember, David talked a little bit about how in the Greco-Roman framework, this idea of self-sacrifice, it was basically foolish in and of itself. Caesar didn't come in self-sacrifice. Herod did not come in self-sacrifice. Jesus came as this way, and really, I know like much of us, many of us are shaped by Christendom, and it's beautiful, but this, this story, this story, to be here and to respond to it has to be from God. It was counter to any Jewish or Greco-Roman thought, and I just think we need to keep that before us, that it is a freaking miracle that we would even live our, and lean our lives into something that really is so upside down. You know, sometimes, and I know there's a lot of talk around, like, uh, uh, just like the whole, uh, I think of the Calvinist kind of view compared to an Arminian kind of view of the way salvation works. In all reality, no matter where people come from that position, I just think through this story is mind blowing that we would even respond to it. It ha- whether you believe, you know, like. God put faith in you, or you responded in faith. No matter how you, we kind of land on that, to me, I just sit back and go, this whole thing would be, is utterly mind blowing when you think about a response to the king and this story. It's so upside down, and it's the work of the Spirit. So, this is from God. The other thing, though, I've just been thinking through, I'm wrestling through kind of all week, is what Paul does as he communicates and writes this community. What does he do? Well, obviously, the gospel is deeply theological. We've talked about this tons, but what does he do? He tells his story. I think in maybe the Pentecostal church that I grew up in, we would call this a testimony. Whoa, anybody with me? Big word, testimony. And I've kind of been rattled all week at my own propensity to avoid my story. Now, I know there's, again, totally get it. There's context here. The context is Paul engaging with the Judaizers and all that's going on in Galatians. I get all that, but it not, should not be lost on us that Paul uses his story. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight puts it like this. He says Paul's perspective on his life is now entirely shaped around his encounter with Christ. In fact, He reconstructed his perception of himself. He knew that he was different. Thus, there was a self-transformation as well. This, McKnight says, is what happens to all converts of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, he reconstructed his perception of himself. And it's fascinating to me in his leading of all that needs to be said to these communities He tells his story, how he was a powerful Pharisee ravaging the church and this zealous one. And as you know, and if you watch the progression even in these verses, it's very poetic because it ends with him being unknown to the people of Judea. This is what the gospel does. It subverts our our thinking and our type of power and influence and what we want to become. And I think one of the best places to start when we come to this idea of our stories and our testimonies and what it means for what Paul is doing here is we begin by observing how Paul has rewritten his own biography from power to the one that's poured out. From the top of the sand, he, you gotta, I know it's hard for us, the top of the top in that world. They, they talked of Paul as the third culture kid. He was not only a Jew, which obviously in the, the Pharisaical movement, as a um, a Pharisee, sorry, I think I said Sadducee, but Pharisee. Not only that, he was a Roman citizen, which means he had all the rights and freedoms in, in the empire, and he spoke Koine Greek. He was this kind of third culture kind of guy that could come from it in every position, and yet he is the one that rewrites his own story. Talks about going from power to, to saying, these, these communities didn't even know who I am. Because through this revelation, Paul sees this as the first and really the only thing he thinks about. The gospel is actually something that changes the way that we think. Now with all this, we're going to come to the tables. I've just been thinking a lot this week, what has happened to me? Not you, I'm just looking, I'm going to look inward, okay? This is like free therapy for me, okay? What I just feel, I've just been really confronted this week that I, in some ways, have very much settled, and I probably, I would imagine you probably feel the tug at this a little, kind of settled and got comfortable with just this kind of Christian life thing to the point where oftentimes, me, I'm talking Drew Fess, I forget my testimony and what God has done in my life through this encounter with King Jesus, to the point where I just kind of live my life. Sure, I'm a Christian. Sure, I'm a follower of Jesus. Sure, I lead a beautiful community of people, and I do Christian and church stuff, which is great. All of that is wonderful, and the practices and all that. But we get oftentimes so, we get subtract. We, we push evangelism kind of off as this kind of secondary thing that we forget for Paul it was deeply rooted in, like, his life. And one of the things he does, even when he's dealing with a community, he tells this story of this encounter with God. And here's the thing. I've just been confronted in my own life that I rarely ever do that, right? I rarely in my own journey engage in the day that Jesus encountered me. And I know we all have different stories and we're not Paul, certainly. I don't think the expectation is to become Paul. He has a very unique story. And yet the testimony The story was a big part of it, and I just find myself not engaged in that and confronted with this as I come to the text. In East London, born and raised, right? On a playground is where I spent most of my days, right? Just kidding. No, sorry. But I just think deeply about, do others know? Is it coming out of me, the story of what God has done? Because this is what this is what Paul is focused on, from power to weakness, from his life climbing the ladder in the social system in the Jewish way to him just like now being poured out for others, to him entering into this foolish way. And so as we come to the tables, I think one of the best questions we can ask is, just like Paul, is my entire life shaped around my encounter with Christ? Right? Right? So the, the nuance of like what Paul's doing with the Judaizers doesn't overly apply at times to us, but man, that is a question, brothers and sisters, because this is who this figure was. This is who this man was, completely immersed and had his entire life shaped around his encounter with Jesus, so much so he just continually goes back to it. And so as we stare today into the bread and cup, um, Could it be a reminder for us that we have this, if you follow Jesus, have this great story of encounter? And if you don't follow Jesus, the call is to do that. Just as Paul was headed to Damascus, I think many of us have been on our own roads going a particular way. God intervened, and now this could actually be part of the way in which we cultivate this life in God from power to weakness. So, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to invite Heidi. She's going to lead us here in towards the tables this morning. But I would just love to take a second and just pray for us as we do. King Jesus, I just pray in this room for a move of you. This is not from a human, nobody would make this story up. In many ways, it's foolishness and it's powerlessness. And yet, this is where we find the power. And God, your good news of the kingdom coming in human form. And it's not about living up to certain religious markers. It's about living in your love and grace. Many of us in this room All of us in this room have a story of your love and your work in our lives. And just as Paul, may that rise to the surface for us. Even in maybe some of my own conviction and our own conviction this morning. May you use that, that story, to to show love and grace to the world around us. As we come to the table in a minute and as Heidi leads us, May we just see this, taste it, and experience it in your name, in your name.